0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: Hey, everyone. Today's guest and co-host is the very funny, very talented Matt Walsh, who you know from Veep, Ted, Into the Storm, and a lot more. Matt and I discuss his beginnings in Chicago, what it really means to be a struggling actor, helpful and unhelpful career advice, and his new podcast, Second in Command, a behind-the-scenes look at one of my favorite shows, Veep. After talking shop, we get more personal, and Matt tells us about his early relationships, heartbreaks, and how he finally met his hot wife, Morgan. On today's Unqualified segment, we talk first with Julie who questions whether she did anything wrong after several friends and romantic partners have accused her of ghosting them. Next up is Isabel, who is engaged to a man whose political views conflict with her own to the extent that she fears for their relationship. As always, thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to talk with us, we'd love to hear from you. Just look for the link in our show notes.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Unqualified. With your host, Anna Ferris.
2: Hey, Matt.
1: Hi, Anna. How are you?
2: I am great. Thank you so much for doing this today. I'm excited. I want to start by telling you that Veep was one of my all-time favorite shows. So listening to your podcast, Second in Command, is such a treat for me.
1: Oh, thank you.
2: Tell me about your experience doing it.
1: The journey of the podcast was super fun in the beginning. Tim and I wanted to do something, and so we're going through a rewatch of Veep, which the world needs more rewatch podcasts. And then... (laughs) It is kind of like that journey. So it's super fun and novel and can go anywhere. And then almost like sitcoms, which I know you know as well, or shows, once the pattern establishes itself, so when you're in the beginning of anything creative, whether it's a podcast or a TV show, you feel like it's unlimited. Like, oh my God, there's all these discoveries. And then what quality necessitates is a pattern and parameters to deliver an understandable thing to your audience. And so you have to cut it and edit it. And then when you're inside that thing, it feels at times like stricture or like a wall that this is what it is now. Say if you're in a show, the character can't be anything like my experience on Veep in the beginning of playing Mike was like, who knew where it was going to be? And after a while, the writers figure out this is who Mike is. This is what you know he likes. This is how to write for him. And so you have to swallow that And then you still love it, and you're still grateful, and it's still amazing. Similarly, with a podcast, there was like, we have to cover the high points of the episode, and we have to get through the plot of the episode. It can't just be anything we want it to be. So then once you're inside that stricture, you push through that. And then ultimately, what feeds it or makes it creative, I think, are the guests. Like, if it was just me and Tim every week, it wouldn't be interesting. But that new energy and that new person... Offers new playfulness and new discovery. And that's what keeps it fresh. And then the workload is exactly that. I think for the first two or three episodes, I came in with a ton of ideas. And for three through 10, I've had very few ideas. And I just show up. <laughs> Not that the quality suffers, but the homework, it just feels like you can't catch up with life or you can't catch up with the demands of your life, and this creative thing, so you just rely on others to do all that stuff. That's a very long answer, by the way. Sorry. Oh,
2: it's great. A behind-the-scenes look at podcasting? Good. I must have watched the entire series at least three times. Thank you. I imagine it must be bittersweet to revisit everything. I guess I want to ask you if you miss it, and does the podcast bring up memories you've forgotten?
1: Well... One of the first things we did was have a memory expert explain how memory works. And we asked her, can we be reliable narrators? And she basically said, human beings aren't built to be reliable narrators. Like we color things, we exclude things. And then there are tricks to help you remember, which I thought was really exciting. And then I feel like so much of the show as an actor in an ensemble, there's so much you miss. So. I do miss doing the show because it was so wonderful and it was so formative in many ways for my career, for like my recent career, and also the excitement of being on a show, getting that sort of appreciation is really fun as well. But what the podcast does offer me is you are kind of reliving it, which is kind of fun, which is what nostalgia does. Like, what nostalgia and memories do, what this expert say, is it helps us write our own narrative. So as human beings, we necessarily need to write our own narrative because that's what defines our sense of self. So you have an idea of who you are after 40 years of life on Earth. I'm 57. I have an idea of who I am. And there are these moments. Now I'm a dad. Now I have two kids. Now I have three kids. I'm on Veep. So all these things what we select to tell ourselves and what we select to write about ourselves like in our memories that's our narrative and that's super valuable that's our identity the other part of memory is it's predictive it teaches you like a caveman oh i touched that fire and it burned my hand so then when you see fire again aha i won't touch that fire so those are like the main things of memory so going through the show for nostalgia's sake is very warming it helps me write my narrative and Understand my identity and my journey, which is super valuable to any individual, whether it's reviewing a show or a photo album or whatever, or connecting with old friends. It's super valuable to all of us. And I guess I do miss the wonderment of that journey, like to be inside something that's having this like meteoric rise and and like perfect sync with writing and acting and getting along. I guess I do miss it, but it isn't overpowering because I feel like doing the podcast me all these other benefits and the biggest benefit i think like i said is being a singular actor i feel like i oftentimes like and i'm sure you can relate i'm just trying to like remember my lines and not slow down the day i don't want to screw up production i don't want people to be like jesus this guy sucks like we got five more scenes to go so yes when you're in that mindset you can't take in new information you're not experiencing all the wonderment around you so then when you get to bring people in and hear their stories or look at pictures, then you're like, oh, my God, that's so cool. That was happening. And I was just in my head trying to get my lines right.
2: I completely understand. And I find comfort, actually, that you say that because I am exactly the same way. I am incredibly singularly minded when I'm on set and stressed and really concerned that I am going to screw something up. I think that that helps me stay on my toes a little bit, still having kind of that I don't know if it's neuroses, but that kind of concentration, I suppose. When your second cousin that you see once every three years at a wedding says that their kid really wants to get into the entertainment business, what advice do you give?
1: I guess to make things that people can see, to network or connect with other people who are doing what you are doing, and Ultimately, I think you need to lock into an agent or manager at some point if you're serious, because those are the people that can put you in front of a casting director.
2: And then you give them your agent's number, right?
1: (laughs) No, I (laughs) don't. I don't go that quickly. I don't go that quickly. It is funny. I recently had my shrink because one of her clients is someone who is considering coming out to L.A. and she didn't ask for like me to pass along my number. She just asked for advice. So I recently revisited this because she didn't know anything about it.
2: Have you been given fantastic and or terrible advice as
1: you were starting out? I came out of Chicago, which I felt like was a perfect city to begin my journey because it was just kind of a working class approach to theater. Like, do the work. Maybe you'll get hired at Second City. Like, it wasn't like get on a sitcom yet. It was kind of like small get attention or respect from your peers and also to experiment and fail in a forgiving environment there weren't opportunities you were blowing by having a bad show and it was also very affordable like we could rent a theater do our own stage production of something that we wrote and then we didn't have to make a ton of money to kind of break even or make a little money for like groceries you know so I had that journey. Like I said, being in that network, a lot of the people who I started with Chicago went on to New York, California, and became successful working people in show business. So I guess Chicago was a friendly city to start out in would be the best thing I can remember about it.
2: Seattle, where I started out in, wasn't as much. Why is that? I think it's a creatively cultivating city. But I think that there's a little bit of like a Northwest sort of in my very amateurish observation of a little bitterness. I was told by by an older theater actor in Seattle after an audition that I didn't get. He said, well, you know, if you can do anything else, do it. So (laughs) (laughs) and uh, I took that to heart. So he was like, well, yeah, you know what? I think I want to try my hand at writing Until I get good enough, maybe I'll work at an ad agency and just try to write on the weekends. And all that plan shifted. (laughs) (laughs) But I value that, actually. I valued him saying that to me. And I think about it a lot because it was a deterrent. But at the same time, I just didn't have the reaction of like, well, I can't do anything else. This is my passion. This is my love. Instead, I sort of I was a little more pragmatic about it, maybe. And I thought, well, yeah, all right. There are other things I enjoy. and I'd like to make more than $12,000 a year doing theater in Seattle. So that was sort of my experience. And I did do other things, but I would still act on the side doing like, you know, industrials.
1: Industrials. Yes, I did those too. Yeah, well, I, I often say like advice, depending what mood I'm in, I'll give various iterations of it. But I often say like, save your money. Because that is pragmatic. It's not like don't give up on your dream. That's not good advice because I think they'll either have that or they won't ultimately. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But like save your money or like someone saying like, well, if you can do anything else, do it. This is a tough one. That is pragmatic. And then be nice to people in the way that one, you don't know how it's going to work out. So you might as well enjoy the people you're with. And two, if you are nice with people, that's essentially what networking is because they're like, oh, he's fun to play with or she's cool. Let's bring her in. You know what I mean? And that pays off too. So small pieces like that are helpful. Not that people will decide to be nice when you tell them, but it is just kind of a reminder, I guess.
2: How did you deal with rejection early on? Did you internalize it? And what's the best advice your shrink has given you?
1: Advice wise, rejection, I did stand up for a while. And so I think in those efforts where I was repeatedly not rewarded or rejected. I jumped into sketch and collaborative art making. So that's what I did with rejection (laughs) because stand up was like it was a peak. It was a valley. It was a peak. It was a valley. And I didn't have the stamina to ride that out, to be in like a hotel room in Michigan and walking off stage and you're by yourself and you just ate it. And you're like, oh, my God, you know, it's very debilitating. I bet. Yeah.
2: Oftentimes people ask me if I've ever done stand-up, which is kind of confounding to me because it's still confounding that I ended up in comedy. I was a really short kid and I took myself very, very seriously. And I kind of viewed acting as an escape. I was a pretty quiet kid. But it must feel awesome to have a responsive audience that is totally with you. But you're right. The flip side of that is the inevitable death, you know, on stage, potentially, alone.
1: Yeah, and it takes tremendous fortitude to survive that while you're figuring out your voice to get to, you know, a quality stand-up set or a quality stand-up career. It's a brutal trade, and I admire anyone who can do it professionally. And so I did it for like a year and a half on and off, and I was able to make money, which is better than, you know, doing other jobs. But I think there's also the delusional, I would say, a willingness to be poor, helped me survive. So I chose to do shows and things that weren't necessarily mainstream like alt comedy, but I felt were interesting or cutting edge, whatever that means at the time. And so I invested my life in that and a willingness to be poor is like I had roommates, you know, until I was like 30 while my friends were getting married and buying houses. So There's that too. You have to accept how much success financially or life stability you're willing to forego for a while. And then at some point you'll have to decide like, all right, this is not what I want anymore. But if you can hang in there and you are getting like reinforcement and you are getting better and you're also enjoying your life, you're not like subsisting on just ramen noodles every day. That's why like, again, I go back to Chicago. Like when I moved to New York, I found that super financially oppressive, you know, just so hard to find an apartment, and to make a living. I feel like starting out in small cities is a great way to at least figure out, and there's no stakes yet.
2: I usually tell people if they're young, I say, you know, get involved in your community
1: theater. Yeah, that's good advice.
2: But they never want to hear that part. You know, they want your agent's number. Matt, will you tell us about your first love?
1: Oh my gosh, it was probably a crush in high school.
2: Was it a relationship?
1: Yeah, There's a girl named Debbie we dated for a year in high school.
2: And what broke you guys up? Or what's been your worst heartbreak? Wow, my worst
1: heartbreak? You know, in some ways, unfortunately, I probably wasn't vulnerable enough at a young age. I was probably getting out of relationships before I was the one who would get my heart broken. Yeah. So that's like my psychology, probably. But I think sometimes, like, Leaving the relationship is real too. Like people say, well, you're the one who got out. That's not hard. It's actually hard to get out of a relationship where you really thought it was going to work and you tried to make it work. And that person is saying, why are you quitting on this? And you're like feeling guilty. Like, why am I quitting on this? Even though you know it's probably been bad for too long. Mm-hmm. So that's a very vague answer.
2: How many relationships over a year have you been in?
1: Well, high school, I had one. Debbie. Debbie. And then... Uh, Patty was probably another serious one in college. And then post-college probably had like one or two in Chicago and then one or two in New York.
2: Which was the messiest of them all?
1: The last one in New York.
2: Why was that?
1: That was the one where I was the one who got out. We were living together and we were engaged. Oh. The signs were there. We actually broke up in the middle of like a four-year relationship we had like a three-month off because I was done and then I went back or we both went back and tried to go again
2: I think it's a really strong move actually to break off an engagement I think it's really hard with my first marriage I felt it but I wasn't ready to think it you know Mm -hmm. I was young and very career focused And there was so much excitement with my career that it felt like putting that element to bed would be good, you know?
1: I think relating to your journey, like, I was in relationships where I was super career-focused. I'm not necessarily an extrovert, but I am very social and I have a lot of friends in my life, you know, but also probably not willing to go inward and really discover who I am or how to be vulnerable, you know, like... It's not necessarily living in a superficial way, but also it's being satisfied with whatever level of intimacy I was having with that person. You know what I mean? Yeah. In those younger years, which I think is okay. We all figure out who we are. And I guess being a late bloomer, which I probably was, you know, that's probably right on time for my evolution as a person.
2: Matt, with the relationship in New York, would you say that was a dramatic relationship?
1: Yes, that is accurate. It was.
2: Was your ex also in the entertainment industry?
1: She was. She was. Not at the beginning, but while we were dating, she got into it. Yeah. But funny, funny person and curious about it, certainly, when we started dating.
2: Looking back, what do you think happened?
1: I think ultimately a combination of, like, I probably had picked the wrong person and she probably had picked the wrong person in retrospect. So I think, like... Oftentimes she was frustrated with me, and I was trying to like correct and be a better version of myself, but ultimately, you just have to be yourself and you know let them be themselves and go your own path.
2: How far into the wedding planning had you guys gotten?
1: It wasn't like at the altar. there was one point where. I think I came home to Chicago and my mom had have asked. So, so what's going on with the wedding? I'm like, I don't know. She's like, you guys aren't going to. My mom's just like, you guys are not going to get married, which was very blunt. And uh, good
2: for you, right?
1: Well, yeah, my mom's very blunt, but it was good. And it was an honest take from an outsider. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just like, we're not wishing it doesn't happen. We're just reading the signs that like there's something going on. And then I think I came to LA for like three months for some pilot season and then came back one more time to try to make it work. And then I left shortly thereafter.
2: And was she devastated and surprised? Or did she?
1: Devastated, I think is fair to say. But surprised, like I said, I feel like we had, you know, the last year wasn't great. It was just up and down. And it was like, I think we had broken up in the middle of a four year kind of thing. And then we got back together, and then I think got engaged. And then it was obvious to me that like we weren't gonna get married. And then I cut out and went to LA for a while, and I wasn't even calling back. Like it was just like, I'm out. And then when I went back to New York, you know, we became a couple again for a brief moment, and then it was over. And then I came to LA, and just there was a dramatic ending to that where she came out unannounced. Oh boy. One more time.
2: Oh man like knocking on the door? Yeah. And can you tell us about the-
1: (laughs) (laughs) You love the good- Well, let me just say that I was living with my brother at the time and it was not expected. And he did not know that we were done done because I didn't really tell people much of anything. And this is my brother. So he's like, what's- And so I finally had to say like, you can't be here. That was really hard because the other side of that is someone who's trying to convince you it's worth fighting for. And so it shouldn't have been that hard, but I guess for whatever reason, I was too weak. Like
2: I said, to break off an engagement is incredibly difficult Yeah, and takes a lot of courage. I mean, because the other route is divorce.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, and I think, yeah, it's always, yeah. The other thing is like, as you know, you have history with someone and you want to honor that history because there's going to be lows and highs in any relationship. So you don't want to be the guy or gal that bails because it got challenging, but it became apparent to me. And I think there was an age gap too. She was younger than me, like to a way that like, she's probably matured to a point where she wouldn't do that now. Right. So that was part of it too.
2: Yeah. As you age, it's harder to do the romantic gestures and you're just not as dramatic. Dramatic is not a great word. I guess as your brain cells die, you become sort of less prone to the
1: (laughs) you're just deadened to emotions let's say it
2: matt how did you meet your wife and when and what qualities about her were you like this fits
1: we met at the ucb theater in new york It was like some late night terrible show she's attractive so i noticed her
2: And her name is Morgan, right?
1: Yeah. And I came out after the show and she came back downstairs because she forgot her coat. And I always tease her that she forgot her coat. And then we were fortunate to have like seven days in New York of just like treating New York like a cruise ship. She was there on vacation. I was working, but I only really had to work like one more day on some movie. So me being someone who lived in New York, I was able to go, we got to go here. We got to go here. I felt like, kind of a very confident experienced New York person
2: she forgot a coat you were were like do you want to go out sometime
1: yeah I said tomorrow well we think we went to a deli together and then I walked her to a cab and then the next day we met at the New York City Marathon which is one of my favorite events and then we just wait
2: wait tell me about this
1: Well, when I lived in New York, I lived there for eight years, I would always go with these friends of mine, and we would have drinks in the morning, and we would go to the Central Park finish line, and you're just cheering people on. I never ran it, because we all would always have friends who would do it, and you're just cheering people on, and what you see is, like, this variety of inspirational stories, like people running for someone who died. You see soldiers carrying backpacks for a buddy who died, or you see, like, old people, or you see, like, someone who's sighted tethered to someone who's blind finishing. Just all kinds of people and from all over the country wearing different flags. So there's all these stories and like emotion. And then
2: I love this.
1: Everyone's cheering them on and you could get completely drawn in, especially at the finish line. You see them like fighting and finishing this incredible feat of human endurance. And it's just super inspiring.
2: Because marathons are their own different deal that I have some hang-ups with, but I just saw some great imagery of New York
1: Marathon. I was there in New York. You were? I happened to see the finish line again.
2: Oh, and I thought, who are these amazing people that will stand there for hours and continue to, like, champion strangers? What a beautiful notion.
1: Yeah, it's really fun. And if you're with friends and, I don't know, you have some hot coffee or some cocktails, it's wonderful.
2: Okay, let's go back to Morgan a little bit. So you guys met, fell in love, got married. You have three kids. How old are your kids?
1: 14, 12, and nine.
2: And how are you finding now love and marriage at this stage, especially after sort of pandemic?
1: This is really good. Well, the pandemic was intense as a parent because I felt like I never spent so much time with my parents ever. So I felt like you're staying at home the first half of the pandemic, three kids homeschooling on computer. Everyone's freaked out by COVID. Nobody knows how contagious it is. There's no vaccine in sight. Everybody's hunkered down. For a while, there was no food on the shelves. Like, how crazy is the world going to get? Like, it's all this anxiety. So we all like made these super strong bonds with our family. It's like Christmas vacation. Let's watch every Avengers movie 30 nights in a row. Like, it was all figuring it out as it goes. And then eventually it became slightly more normalized and they could go to school a little bit. So with the raising of kids, it was just really intense exposure. And I felt it was a blessing, you know, to have that kind of time and to be able to like, have a nice home and a trampoline and a swimming pool they could jump in and a yard to run around in, as opposed to like an apartment with five of us. Like I felt grateful. And so that was really intense, but I also realized as you become a teenager, It's actually not ideal for a teenager to be on top of their parents, because that's when you want to start closing your door, locking into your peers. And of course, it's hard, you know, to go into seventh grade and you're meeting new kids and it's all on Zoom. So it was kind of like this intense, wonderful and also intense, like I'm just guessing from their point of view, not ideal as you start to spread your wings. So that was like the last, you know, two years of having a family and and stuff like that, but ultimately really great because we were able to do stuff and get out of town occasionally and rent an RV. So we did some good stuff.
2: How would you compare your upbringings?
1: Well, Morgan's a Northwest girl. She grew up in Portland and Seattle. She hopped back and forth. She's an actor, but she came right down when she was 18 to the Pasadena School of Dramatic Arts. So the minute she graduated high school, she plugged into like this dramatic program here in L.A. But she's talking about like what attracted me. She's completely different. Like I'm one of seven Irish Catholic family, very like traditional values. And she's like this hippie girl from the Northwest, from divorced parents who kind of hopped between two homes for like her teen years and kind of had to make it on her own when she was like 18 on. And I still had this huge extended family. So I think the otherness was also very attractive to me.
2: So, Matt, are you ready to give people advice?
1: Yes.
3: Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com.
2: Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. Hi Julie Hi Anna I'm here with Matt Walsh who was on one of my very favorite shows veep hi, Matt hi but Julie enough about Matt <laughs> will you tell
1: <laughs> let's talk about you Julie come on
2: will you tell us what's going on Well, I had been
3: listening to some of your previous podcasts that I hadn't heard before and somebody was talking about being ghosted and all I could think is yeah, but is it really ghosting I've had people say that I'm ghosting them or I have ghosted them when, to me, it's clearly defining my boundaries, saying why this didn't work, saying goodbye, and then still getting countless texts and IMs saying, where did you go? Well, I explained it. I don't feel the need to keep going over it. So am I the common denominator? Am I doing something wrong?
2: So in your letter, you write, there are a number of people in my life with whom I enforce boundaries. I let them know where my boundaries lay. I don't expect others to change. And before I leave a relationship, I let them know that these are the reasons and why this doesn't work for me, reassuring them that I am not asking them to change. I think it's interesting that you write, I don't live life looking backward. Is it possible for you to give us a specific example when this happened recently? And are all these romantic relationships? Not all.
3: Some are friendships that just don't work for me any longer. And because I have redefined boundaries as I've gotten older and realizing what doesn't work for me, then Like I said, it's not like I'm asking anyone to change their behavior.
2: You're being proactive in
3: your choices. I went on a trip out of the country, met this guy, really nice guy. We talked, communicated for a couple of years afterwards. I went out there, met up with him. And I felt like once I slept with him, he stopped being as respectful to me.
2: Interesting. I am
3: all about respect. Respect me
2: and to respect my time. Do you mind my asking, like, in what ways? Like, was he late? Was he yes. Was he not as responsive? He got progressively
3: later as our time together went on. And he would yell at his employees on the phone in front of me. I know he didn't think I understood much of what he said, but I understood more than I think he knew I did. Um, And, you know, that just isn't okay. You don't get to yell and call names to anyone. And if you can't follow the rules of engagement concerning respect when we're doing well, how can I expect you to follow those if we're disagreeing? And so because of that it didn't work
2: for me. Did this person accuse you of ghosting? Yes, and still does. Oh, okay. So how does this person contact you? It's like send you text saying, "Why are you ghosting me?" Yes, texts and I ams.
1: Can I ask you a question, Julie?
2: Absolutely.
1: So when it got increasingly late the arrival of this person on each event, were you saying, like, I don't like when you're late. This is a problem. I feel like you're disrespecting me.
3: Yes. And I would say, listen, I've only got a limited amount of time here. And if you're not going to be there, let me know so I can go explore on my own.
1: And then when they were yelling at their employees and shouting at them or cursing at them in whatever language, were you on each occasion after those calls or later in the day going, you really shouldn't yell at people like that, it's abusive?
3: Not in those words, but I did express that I really don't like it when people talk to other people like that. That sure doesn't work for me.
1: Because what I'm wondering is, are you someone that might like not speak to these offenses and then at some point you've crossed the line and just go, look... This is done. I don't like these things you do. I don't want you to change. But this is not someone that I can invest and be vulnerable with.
3: I think I did a pretty good job letting him know at the time that these were things that didn't work well for me.
1: Okay. I believe you.
2: I do, too. And I commend you for that. But if your ex is reaching out to you and is like, why are you ghosting me or whatever? Are you also the kind of person who feels the need to respond? Not at all.
3: I'm really pretty particular on my reading material, and I don't feel the need to read it sometimes. I don't respond. I've explained why. Please stop asking me. I've explained it. It doesn't work for me, and there's nothing that you can say that is going to have me compromise on my non-negotiables, because he's very charming, and I do not want to be
2: sucked in. He's adjusted to people succumbing to him. Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, I think it's great that you understand what you want. I feel like most people go through their lives not quite knowing that. Well,
1: it took me
3: 55 years.
1: <laughs> yeah. My, I have one more question. When did you see this pattern of people saying you're ghosting them begin? Like in the last five years? In the yeah. last Ten years? Five. In the last five years. And it's in sync with you making a life decision, seemingly correct, that I will no longer tolerate this in my life.
2: Yes,
3: absolutely.
2: And with your ex sort of aside, in other circumstances with friends or families or with maybe other dating scenarios, how have you found out? Because to me, Julie, I think you're doing everything, in my opinion, right. Right. And I think you're also kind of speaking to a larger cultural idea of ghosting. Yeah. As though if you leave a relationship, you're guilty. There's like a weak implication there. Yeah. Don't you think? Yeah,
3: I agree. And that's why I was listening to the caller on the previous podcast. I was like, Yeah, you say that he's ghosting, but is it really ghosting? Because I don't
1: think I'm ghosting.
2: I don't think you are either. You're offering an explanation.
1: You're setting a hard boundary and you're sticking with it is really what you're doing, right? Yes, sir. You don't have to call me sir. (laughs) If you knew me, you wouldn't call me sir.
2: Sir? I like (laughs) I call my son sir.
1: Sir? Get over here, sir.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Sir, have you finished your homework? (laughs)
1: It's
2: because I can't remember his name. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I've Um, got six kids. I get that. Oh, my goodness. Oh, Julie, I am frustrated for you because to me, you are doing everything correctly. Have friends of yours also accused you of this? Yes. Can you tell us about one experience there? Friendship that was kind
3: of based on her being kind of in charge and being bossy and telling me how she thinks I should do things. And honestly... After my husband died, I don't have room for that in my life. I'm about living, not about making other people happy. (laughs) And if it makes her upset that she can't tell me what to do, then that's a her problem, not a me problem.
1: And how long had you been friends with her before you set the hard boundary?
3: A
2: pretty long time. (laughs)
3: Like, since we were teenagers and we're in our 50s.
2: Okay, so this is like a passive-aggressive accusation on her end because you guys have so much history together. But it sounds like, you know, she clearly needed more from you than you did from her, you know?
3: And was used to having that dynamic.
2: Yeah. She enjoyed the position of being kind of bossy to you. Mm -hmm. And now she gets to enjoy the self-righteous position of accusing you of ghosting.
1: Well, I have a question. Sure. In a situation like this if you have say a 30 year relationship I'm just guessing with someone do you not have a right to say I expect you to change because I've changed so you said in your letter I don't expect people to change I'm just telling you I'm out and I wish you well and this may be the last time we speak but in a case like you have an ongoing relationship we're in, in essence we're all different people but you were very clearly were a different person and you have this milestone in your life. Like once your husband passed, you're like discovering who you wanted to be on the other side of that, which is great. And this person in your life can't fathom how you can be a different person. Not that you need them in your life anymore, because you obviously don't. But, and I'm asking Anna this too, like, does she have a right to say, look, you need to change because if you want my friendship moving forward, this is what I want between us.
2: Matt, I thought that was so well put. Julie, do you miss this person? Sure.
3: However, I will never ask someone to change because I see so many people who fall into love or into lust with potential. And fucking potential gets you in there every time. I mean, it's...
2: (laughs) Julie, will you elaborate a little bit?
3: Yeah, that I know so many people who hold on to a relationship because the other one has so much potential. It can't be based on potential. Right. I don't know how much time we have together. And if you've got potential and you want somebody who is willing to settle for potential, would be a better match. For me, I need the real deal and I need it now. And it's okay that you might not be my real deal but doesn't mean you're not somebody else's. And for that reason, I don't ask
2: people. Are you single now, Julie? I am. Are you wanting to be in a relationship?
3: I am not opposed to the idea if I meet someone who is, we're on the same page. But I'm fantastic and I have loved my time myself and I don't need to be with other people, with a man. However, it would be nice if it was something that worked for both of us. I'm not everybody's cup of tea and I don't have to be.
2: So do you suffer from any like guilt with these ghosting accusations? Or is it more like, am I doing something wrong? Which relationships maybe nag at you a little bit? Is it the long friendship you had? Yes. That would be the one. That kind of nags at you. Okay. I think Matt is on to something. How did you leave it with her when you basically let her know that you don't want to be her friend or however that went down?
3: Basically that I love you, however, I cannot continue to be in this relationship because it's not good for me. And it's not healthy for me.
2: And right now, I need to take care of me. Did you send this to her in like an email or a text? Or No, this was a conversation. How did she absorb it?
3: I'm not exactly sure she did. Okay. But it was a conscious decision. This is not my just not having time to see you. It was a conscious decision.
2: Would you be open to just chew on it over the next month to asking her if she would want to have a long phone conversation. Yeah, I definitely could consider that. You know, because this relationship is the one that is sort of nagging at you a bit, I wonder if it's not worth it. And I wonder if, like, sort of with Matt's train of thought, like— the idea of because you do miss this person and because this is the one that sort of emotionally tugs at you, I wonder if she's prepared for a long conversation and she's had all this time to digest. And Julie, I really admire your being able to set strong boundaries. And I like it that you don't expect people to change because most people have a pretty hard time doing that. But I wonder if now she will have had this time to absorb. And I wonder if you can tell her gently, you know, I miss you. I'm hesitant because I found our friendship was hard on me for these reasons. But I miss you. And I'm wondering if we can sort of attempt to restructure it. I found myself feeling bad about myself when I would talk with you, and that's why I needed distance. I don't know. Am I on to something here, guys? I think so. For me, boundaries
3: are about how far of an emotional distance I have to stay from someone in order to love them and accept them unconditionally. And sometimes the distance is a lot greater with some people than with others. And In order to truly love someone and accept them unconditionally, sometimes I
2: can't have anything to do with them. Okay. So I wonder if you sort of frame it so she can digest it. If the goal is for you guys to have a friendship that might not be quite as intense as it was, but somebody you can count on or somebody you can call or just somebody who you have a long history with still being in your life, if that's the goal, I would explain the history to it as well. You know, the five-year idea, like I would include the emotional shift that you had, that the death of your husband made you reevaluate a lot of different things.
1: So let me chip in a little something too, which might be completely unhelpful, but (laughs) (laughs) we're
2: unqualified.
1: Yeah. I'm prefacing it with that. So what i hear from you which is true like to unconditionally love someone you kind of need space from that person is what you want you want that space and that's ultimately control that boundary gives you control and you still have love for that person and obviously that's what anna's saying is like maybe in a month like a call is a good stepping stone because it's not too much you can go into that with no expectation but it is a valuable relationship that you would potentially like to pull forward with you in your life. In, in some version, whatever comes out on the other side of that column, nobody knows. Like I'm not good at that. But I also think, I'll give you an example of, I have a friend who saw a play in Chicago, and after the play, his friend was like, what do you think? And my friend proceeded to give him a severe critique of what was wrong with the play, and didn't think it was good, and thought it was terrible at points. And his wife later told them when they were outside the theaters, like, what are you doing? Like, you don't say that. Yeah. You know, he said, I was trying to be helpful. I was trying to give them constructive criticism, but he went in really hard. And in a way, human beings are more nuanced than that. And you can't really go in after a play and say, this was terrible, that was terrible. I'm your friend. This is why I'm te-. You can't do that. So there has to be more nuance to it. So your need for space from someone can be more nuanced. So if I have a friend makes me crazy when I'm around them, I'll come home and say to my wife some version of, I don't want to see Kevin for like three weeks, man. Or if she says Kevin and his wife want to have dinner tonight, like, honestly, I'm not ready for that. Like, let's find an excuse. Let's push that one down the road. Do you know what I mean? But what you're doing is quite honorable. You're like telling someone in a very honorable way, but maybe too honorably (laughs) that... (laughs) You're giving them the whole breakdown of what's kind of wrong with them and what's not matching with the new version of you, when in reality, we all have those feelings. I think there's maybe some behavior modification, and I don't know if there's a book on how to blow people off and not hurt their feelings, but I honestly (laughs) feel like you feel very responsible to be honest to this person, when in reality... You don't have to be that responsible and you kind of do a disservice to yourself. And the last thing I'll say is like, you can relate to this. This is the worst version because you're a sincere, authentic person. But in show business, sometimes the best people at show business are the ones who are never in the room for the ugly conversations. They know when to get out of the ugly conversations. So (laughs) they preserve all those relationships because they're never in the room when the dirty work happens. That's the worst version of a human being, kind of. But this is all to show you the spectrum of how to handle things and people that are problematic along with our own journeys, which is like, I'm different now, which is great.
2: Yeah, I think that this friend, even though she was bossy or whatever, misses Julie probably more than Julie misses this person. So she'll be in a fragile defensive place a bit. So if you do decide to call her, I would tell her, I miss you, I think about you, and I would just tread carefully initially. I would say something vague, like sometimes our communication just felt like we were not on the same track. And because we've had this long friendship, we've established this pattern of this kind of communication that I just think about and I reevaluated And what you can be deciding during this phone call is if you want this, but if you tread really gently and she gets defensive and maybe she still has some of those qualities that wanted you to kind of end the friendship in the first place, if she's not hearing you still, then you can trail off the conversation gently and hang up and then decide Okay, is this person in a place where we can have a friendship that makes us both feel good? Does that make sense? It does.
3: My fear is that I will end up hurting their feelings all over again.
2: (laughs) Yes. So, Julie, do be careful of that. And you can, you can be. But I think that that decision-making shouldn't be too impulsive, I think, with this initial conversation because of the accusation of the ghosting, which feels like it is pretty different in both of the scenarios.
1: Yes. I would just add, I'd love the tread lightly of it all. That is exactly right. Just go slow and then a little, like, practical behavior modification. Just don't go longer than 30 minutes. Like, set a fake call that you have to take in 30 minutes. That way, you know, you're not going to go too deep because I feel like what you want to say is exactly that. You want to say, like, this is kind of my journey. This last five years, I'm sort of exploring this and I do love you. Like you offer all those things up in the most. I don't have any expectation, but also you're sort of listening underneath it all to see like what reminds me of what was the fun stuff? What was the good stuff we had? You know? Right. And then you give yourself an out so it doesn't get into the deep stuff. <laughs> And that's what I mean, like, okay, have the timer for the cake in the oven that's going to burn at 30 minutes, or the son or daughter that's going to call you at 30 minutes and say, I'm so sorry, but we'll continue this at another time, and I love you, and I have to go. You know what I mean?
2: Mm-hmm. But your original question is, am I ghosting them? Are these accusations accurate? And from what I hear, they aren't. They're for different reasons. But I think you have been clear To people, and you haven't been flaky. But if this relationship and any other relationships in your life that are kind of nagging at you a little bit, like in my determination to set and uphold and enforce these boundaries, is there room for leeway? And there is. There's some wiggle room there. And you can revise. And maybe there's an opportunity if she hears you to explain those things without getting into anything too personal. I wouldn't use any specific examples, even if she tries to press you on it. Like, what are you talking about? What do you mean? What do you mean I'm bossy? I don't know what you mean. You know what I mean? I would just say it's more about the way I just started to recognize that I just kind of felt bad in our friendship.
1: Yeah, you're exploring yourself. It's kind of like couching it in your own self-discovery and a vague term like that is fine. Like, I don't know, I just didn't feel right.
2: Right. I just wouldn't get too specific with her. Yeah. Just gentle and vague. Yep. You guys have given me some really great things to think about. Oh, good. Thank you so much for writing in and talking with us. Good luck. Thank you so much, both of you. Bye, Julie.
1: They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
2: You're really good at this, Matt. I loved the analogy of the play. I know that you have to go soon, so let's call Isabel. Hi, Isabel. Hello. Hi, Isabel. Matt has to leave us in a few minutes.
1: Yeah, but I wanted to just get into some of this, so.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Isabel, will you tell us what's going on? Okay. I met my fiancé, newly
0: engaged, so it sounds weird still to me. Um, (laughs) I met him three years ago, 2018, and then we worked together, actually, and he was my boss. Okay, I say it because it sounds hot. scandalous. It just so happens. So <laughs> happens at the same day that we got official. He got promoted, so like that kind of sucked. So we had to hide it at work. Oh, but anyways, he was my first boyfriend, first love, like first everything. Because I myself, I knew I didn't want to mess around or like get into something that wasn't serious. So I was nineteen when we first got together. So I'm a late bloomer, but everything's fine till last year hit. And we all know how that went. (laughs) Um, And during the protests and the riots and stuff that happened last year, I was just upset. I was constantly on social media, like wanting to help out, wanting to be informed and doing as much as I can. And it was just making me upset and like mentally unhealthy sometimes. And I would like kind of take it out on him because he wasn't as upset as me. And I was like, don't you see what's going on? And he was just like, well, it's not affecting us. Like he didn't cheat on me or lie on anything. So I was like, yeah, I get it. But it was still just frustrating to me. I can understand that. Yeah. So I kind of just put it past me and I understood where he was coming from, that it wasn't directly involving us. So I got over it. And then the elections happened. And long story short, that's when I realized, oh, yeah, we're like totally different. But (laughs) we just kind of bickered and fought about that all the time and again nothing really i could do about it it wasn't involving us so tried to let it go and then over the summer where we live in our state the mask mandate got lifted for a little bit and you know he was so joyous and so happy over it because i get it it's like annoying and we constantly doing this over and over again for almost two years now so then it got reinstated again that we had to wear them indoors And he just was not having it. And he was just one of those people that was like, I don't want to, and they're not gonna make me and like that type of mind state. And it was just really annoying because I hate confrontation. (laughs) And every time we went anywhere, as soon as we entered that battle happened and it was just annoying to deal with. And it got to the point where like, I didn't even want to go out of the house anymore. (laughs) Like I didn't want to go anywhere with him. Because, like, truthfully, I kind of felt embarrassed being around him. And I hate saying that because I love him. Like, he's my fiance and everything. But it was just, it got that bad (laughs) that I was like, I'm staying home. Like, I don't want to deal with it. And we eventually had another fight about that to where he finally, like, just, it is what it is. He'll put one on so we could actually go do stuff and not have these constant arguments. It's interesting
2: you guys almost flipped. (laughs) Like you were frustrated with him for not feeling the passion and the anger and like, you know, and now he is like kind of doing the same thing. Yes, <laughs> essentially. It's frustrating to navigate, for sure.
0: So then we decided it was best for both of us to like stay off social media so we wouldn't get to the constant negativity. And I've been off it now for about three months and actually kind of like it. Good for you.
1: Yeah. <laughs> It's yeah. definitely
0: different. Yeah. I do feel like I'm missing out, but I usually have my sisters or other friends like telling me the like, memes and stuff that's going on. So I'm still informed for sure, but not like constantly going down the wormhole of being negativity and all that. I then have this co-worker who pretty much has the same ideas as my fiance, but to the extreme. And I don't have an office. We're kind of like in a weird makeshift cubicle. And he's the type of guy that doesn't like to talk about politics, but somehow can't not stop talking about politics. And so he's constantly every single day just talking about this and that. And in my mind, I put those two thoughts together. Like I connected my coworker with my fiance. And so every time I came home, I was upset at him and he didn't even do anything, (laughs) which I know is so unhealthy. And I'm like really working on it to like separate the two. But that's just where my mind went because I was like, oh, I know you two think the same. Like, I know that's how your thoughts are. I'm trying to separate the two, but it's very hard because, again, he's pretty much a loud mouth and just will never stop talking (laughs)
2: Isabel, is your fiance your boss and his boss? Your oh no, 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 no! Boss? We now have different okay.
0: jobs. He's a mechanic at an airplane shop, so he's in his career, and I'm in mine, kind of.
2: <laughs> Are you close with your boss, your current boss? Yes, he's the reason I'm staying at my current job. Matt, before you need to leave, will you explore Isabel's dilemma?
1: <laughs> what do you and your fiance do for fun?
2: usually watch movies because that's how
0: we got together in the first place.
1: Can you agree on movies quickly?
0: A little bit. I'd say about 10 minutes average, (laughs) so a little quicker.
1: Okay. And do you do stuff outside of the house a lot, or is it mostly at home you're watching movies?
0: A little bit of both. When we do have the funds, we will go out to the movie theater or even the drive-in because we have one of those here. Or we sometimes go bowling or go hang out with friends.
1: And how do you blend your friends into your life? Like, do his friends come over for a barbecue or whatever? Do you bring your friends over for pizza or something? How does the blending of the friends work?
0: Unfortunately, all my friends moved away for college. So I don't have any in the city at the moment, but it's mostly his friends that we see, which they've become mine as well.
1: And those friends of his that you like, do any of them match your sort of concerns or politics, let's say?
0: No, not
2: really. Oh, boy.
0: We try not to discuss it as much, but, like, I pay attention a lot to what people say and how they react to things, so I know it's not
2: the same as me. Who sets up sort of the rules of, like, when you say we try not to talk about it, who kind of initiates that sort of idea?
0: We usually just don't because, how we were. Like, we both agreed between us not to talk about it. So when we're with friends and they try to get into the subject, we just change it because we know it's not going to be great for either of us. So we do have that
2: agreement to like not really talk about it. So what's his temperature now? Like if you were to say that last summer, your tension level was at like an eight out of 10, what would you say his is now in terms of the mask thing? Because I'm hoping that there's a trend of de-escalation just in general. Yeah, I'd say he's probably, like, out of five. (laughs) Is he around a lot of, like, like like-minded people as himself? No, he's not, because he works for a family-owned
0: business, so it's just the boss, son's boss and him. And actually last night, because we kind of, like, dove into it a little bit, and we came to the conclusion that, like, both of us in our lives don't have anybody else that agree with us fully. So, we always hear the opposite side, and we never have anybody to talk to to rant about that understands our point of view. And so, that's why I think like every time it comes up, we both have so much bottled up energy from everything else we hear that it just explodes when we try and talk about it.
2: We were talking with a previous caller, and Matt was talking about how people are nuanced and we're also a little more malleable, even though. We don't always recognize it.
1: Yeah. Every couple has different interests. Like, to me, like, there has to be room for space. Like, you have to get yourself a network of people where you can, like, blow off steam and share whatever you think about the world with people who are like, hell yeah. And he needs a place where he needs to go and blow off steam and share his view of the world and go, hell yeah. And then you also, the reality of the world is true. Like, Politics at the end of the day don't matter in so many ways. Like my parents are different than me, but nobody in the world would be there for me sooner if the shit went down than my family. You know what I mean? Like, so the core things that are important don't change, but I don't have any solutions other than those two things. Like, And then that way to find common ground in the sphere of issues or politics or whatever, like the gay rights movement, it just happened naturally because The reality was, like, everybody knew somebody gay. And at the end of the day, it's like, yeah, who cares? Do you know what I mean? It was one of those issues that just, like, it got legislated eventually, you know, during the Obama era and all that. But the reality was the real change with people came from, like, the grandma who made cookies with her gay grandson and loved the shit out of him. And then at some point, he's like, I'm gay. And she's like, what's wrong with you? But then at the end of it, she's like, are you coming over to make cookies tomorrow? Like, that's how change happens. So I don't have any answers other than there are things that you two overlap on. And you're right to get off social media because it drums us up and it points out like these guys are a-holes. These guys are a-holes. This is the only way. And I just hope you can find ways to blow off steam and also find those core values where you're like, at the end of the day, you're right. That's an issue. But like, we're good. I don't know. That's all I got to say. And that's not really articulate, but I will check in to find out where you landed on this.
2: Thank you. Hey, Matt, thank you so very much. Yeah. So appreciate you. Bye, Matt. Bye. Bye, you guys. Isabel, does your fiance listen to podcasts and things at work? What does he do? Because I wonder what he's kind of bringing home. If he's listening to a lot of kind of stuff that gets him a little agitated during the day as a mechanic, do you happen to know? I don't think so. He does tell me that he just listens to music a lot because he's more on social
0: media now than I am. So I think it's still that maybe. He has more like empty space. It's not much him that really hears a lot because he tells me about his day all the time. So
2: I don't know where he's hearing it from. It sounds like you guys maybe are getting slightly better with communication regarding these issues in terms of, like, you've recognized what gets you guys agitated, and you have agreed on not really getting into it too much, which I think is a really good policy because I think in a year from now, people will still be angry, but... You just can't maintain, energy-wise, the anger level, I think. What was your recent argument about, and when was it? I can't remember the last real argument we had over this. Oh, that's good. So in your letter, you made it a little bit more of, like, a broader issue. You say that you love him, but you're questioning a little bit, like, is this a problem that is surmountable? Is that
0: accurate? Yeah, a little bit, because before when I was like at the height of the arguments, I myself thought of like breaking it off because to me, I was like, it's a little too much. Like I knew we will never agree on the same thing. So I was like, am I ready for this for the rest of my life? But then after I calmed down and stopped crying, I had a moment to myself and I was like, I would regret if I were to break up with him. Like I knew I would regret it because when I think of my future, like he's there and we have a house, we have dogs and stuff. And so, like you said, it'll eventually kind of settle and cool off because I know right now, especially in the pandemic and everything's happened, everyone's got an opinion and that's all anybody talks about. So I was like, I need to hold it out and
2: just wait and see how it goes because I know it, it's temporary, essentially. How hurt did you feel last summer when he wasn't understanding your pain and anger? Pretty hurt. He grew up in the South and he's white. I'm
0: black and Mexican and it's not like the first round I'm sure and I'm probably not be the last unfortunately but like I've been through it before through the hurt of like the pain and suffering of someone else in a whole community and he I know doesn't understand that because he's really never had to deal with that so I was trying my best to like convey my feelings over to him he understood but really didn't like feel it like I do yeah that's what was hard to like convey and deal
2: with the idea of him saying like this isn't directly affecting us so why are you so Mm -hmm.
0: that made me upset as well because I was like it is affecting me yeah
2: yeah and also when somebody especially your partner doesn't understand your Passion around a subject or your life experience, of course, you would have this feeling of like, well, you don't fucking know me. And how am I going to spend the rest of my life with somebody who doesn't even try to understand my perspective? And it is hard to not feel heard, to not feel validated in those moments. But it sounds like you guys have kind of gotten to a place, I'm not quite sure where he is in his mask anger.
0: Yeah, because he does get annoyed by
2: it, which I understand. But again, it is what it is like. It's temporary. I wonder if you could say to him, baby, would you do me a big favor and not say, like, fuck these masks? Like, I just don't know if I can handle any more mask anger because I always want to try to solve a problem for you. And this one I can't solve. I will try that. (laughs) You kind of have to put yourself on restriction a little bit, I think, with how much you let yourself absorb anger and frustration. And I think you have really already done most of the work by going off of social media for three months. There's such like base blanket statements. Without any context, you know, there's just so much of that. And then I think when the timing is right, maybe you could say to him, you know, last summer we were fighting a lot because of the intensity of the situation. Sometimes I think about it and it stings me a little bit because it made me think that we were really different. And I really don't want to feel that way because I don't think we are. And I just wanted to talk to you just a little bit about this, because I'm not upset, I'm not angry or anything. It's just something that's kind of been on my mind. And I want reassurance that we're not. And I also want to feel like next time I feel like my life experience has been so different from yours in some ways, sometimes I just kind of need you to hear me. Do you think you would hear that? Do you guys communicate like that? Oh, yeah. Yes, that's one of the things I like about him, is that he's very open communication. It sounds like it. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why I fell for him.
0: Because he was open with communication, just straight up. We'll talk about it if we need to. If you're having troubles, talk to me. Be my support, basically. And it goes both ways.
2: I would just continue to reiterate those. And I do know those moments, though, of like such extreme, I don't know... Distance that you automatically go to, like, well, this is never going to work ever. And I also find that engagements really intensify those feelings. Yeah. If you feel the need to address the past in a way that could help you, I would have that conversation about just gently saying, it was hard for me because it made me feel so distant from you. As far as your coworker, I love it that you recognize that you're sort of taking home some of his shit and transferring it.
0: It happened for a good month. And then I realized I was like, this isn't good because I was taking it out on him and he did nothing wrong. And that's when I knew I was like,
2: "Okay, this isn't fair. I need to stop. But it's very hard. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you recognize the problem, though. You were bringing it home. You've worked on that. I don't know if you can do anything about your boss, though.
0: That's why I'm trying to remove myself,
2: because I am looking for a job. And anytime it does
0: happen, I know to just walk away.
2: All right. I like it. Good job. And it's like he's just looking so hard for agitation. Like he just wants somebody to help fill up his tank of anger or whatever. He's a talker, so I think he just likes to talk shop and go. (laughs) People who are looking for an outlet for their own whatever, are the kind of person who picks unnecessary fights. That's a really hard pattern to break. So I don't even know if you were to go to your boss or whatever. I don't think it would work. It would probably only make the situation worse.
0: I'm doing the steps, but it's just hard to navigate.
2: (laughs) Even just talking about this, there are so many people in this same situation. It was like that before like in maybe 2016 and then I mean I can't imagine how many marriages didn't make it because of this intensity of time and like I said maybe have that conversation maybe not about how your different life experiences which are vastly different yes you know. but timing <laughs> <laughs> yep timing Timing, because you have to have someone who is in a place where they can hear you, where they don't get defensive. They don't dismiss you. Gentle language, timing. If the political stuff keeps coming up in your environment, maybe have a funny code word that you guys use. You said that and my mind went to (laughs) pickles. I went to pineapple. I like pickles better. (laughs) Isabel, truly, though, like you said, I think that just this conversation hopefully will let other listeners know that they're not alone in the confusion of these times. Uh, Isabel, I love you and thank you so very much. Thank you. I love you too. I love your
0: laugh, by the way. It's every time. I love it. (laughs) (gasps)
2: Like, thank you. (laughs) Thank you so very much. I really, really appreciate you. Thank you. And congratulations. Thank you. Bye, darling. Bye-bye we